The Democrats, I believe, will go pretty much down the line on this. Then the so-called liberal, I put liberal in quote, Republicans will go along with them. I think they've got plenty of votes to uh, do it. In fact, I was talking to one of my Democrat friends the other day. He told me very frankly he was going to vote for censure. He said, not because of the silly reasons given by the Wat Watkins Committee. He said, but because you labeled the Democrat Party as the party of communism. Welcome to Enemy of the Surveillance State, where we discuss news, tips, and open source tools to help you protect your privacy in an age of mass digital surveillance. I am your host, C. Mitchell Shaw, and joining me this week is my special guest, Trevor Loudon, writer, speaker, and expert on communist infiltration and tactics. We're going to be discussing the Cold War, communist infiltration of the U.S. government, the history of the deep state and surveillance state, and more this week on Enemy of the Surveillance State. All right, well, welcome back. That sound clip at the beginning was Senator Joseph McCarthy in December of 1954 on Meet the Nation right before the vote where he was censured by the U.S. Senate for doing his duty in exposing the communist infiltration of the federal government. Um, I don't know what you think about Joe McCarthy, but I think Joe McCarthy is an American hero who simply did his duty and got raked over the coals and watched his life get ruined for it. You can hear the yeah, tone in his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I've, I've, uh, I went to his grave in Appleton, Wisconsin. Been there myself. You know, he, he, he's a hero, and uh, he will be viewed very kindly when the true history of this country is written. He tried to, do, tried to warn us, and had we listened more, we wouldn't be in the state we're in today. No doubt. Well, Trevor, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your website, KeyWiki, uh, and what it is that you do in exposing communist infiltration and communist tactics. Yeah, look, I'm from New Zealand, um, but I've been coming to the United States for many years now. I live here. I was the guy who who um, gave Glenn Beck a lot of the stuff that he used for his famous chalkboards a few years back when he was at Fox News. I've written a book, Barack Obama and the Enemies Within. I was the guy who exposed um, Obama's ties to the Hawaiian communist Frank Marshall Davis. I exposed his communist green job, Zar Van, Van Jones, and Glenn Beck used that information to get him kicked out of the White House. I've written uh, Enemies Within, Communists, Socialists, and Progressives in the U.S. Congress. And my latest book is White House Reds, Communists, Socialists, and Security Risks, Standing for U.S. President 2020, which is out now. And that profiles 10 Democrats standing for presidency and all of them are Marxists, including Biden, including Buttigieg, including Klobuchar, obviously Bernie, and, and all the rest of the crowd. 
and also did the 2016 movie Enemies Within, which uh, basically says there's about 100 uh, U.S. Congress members and about 25 U.S. senators who couldn't pass a background check to drive a school bus, but they're serving on the Homeland Security Committee and the Armed Services Committee, and that's had well over 2 million views on Amazon Prime. So for the last 30 years, I've been researching the radical left, spies, terrorists, subversives, and their influence on mainstream politics. Yeah, I know I leaned really heavily on your research for an article that I did because I live in Virginia and I think you're you're further south. I don't know if you want to say where you live, so that's fine. I, yeah, I'm, I'm down in the sunny, sunny Florida. Okay. You know where I am. Yeah, the rain shine yeah. state. I lived in Florida. Yeah, yeah. I lived in Florida for years, and it was raining the day I moved to Florida. It was raining the day I left Florida, and I just laughed as we passed the sign that said "Florida, the Sunshine State." Now, in- oh yeah, look, look, it, it, but it shines. It's eighty-five degrees, then it rains, and then it's eighty-five degrees again. And you just watch the steam come up off the roads. I know. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, I loved it do. there. So, yeah. um, but. So I'm in Virginia, and when you know we had the big uh, red to blue flip this last election, uh, largely due, as your research showed, to the communist infiltration here in Virginia with a couple of different pro-communist, pro-Maoist groups uh, that were, uh, and they took credit uh, for uh, helping to get out and uh, get people registered to vote and take them to the polls and get them to vote Democrat. And so now we've, you know, Virginia has flipped for the first time in, gosh, my lifetime probably. Uh, Virginia is completely in control of Democrats, and we are going to hell in a handbasket as a result. I think the backlash is going to be amazing uh, in the next election. I don't think, uh, I don't think the Democrats have any hope of maintaining their position. So, well, uh, maybe, maybe I'm overly they, optimistic. They have, lot, they, have, they have a lot of dirty tricks, and uh, they use demographics. That's what they do, and. Uh, so, look, I think Virginia can be taken back, but I uh, don't think it's going to be. Oh, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. I think uh, I think particularly one of the things that's really going to hurt the Democrats here in Virginia is going to be the stand that they've taken on firearms, uh, the Second Absolutely. Amendment. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, because yeah. Virginians, man, we love our guns, and we're not just going to lay those down because the man told us to, and we're going to remember it the next time when it's time to go vote. You know, I was at the Second Amendment rally that we did here uh, back a few months ago. I covered that for the New American Magazine, and... Um, There was a guy there holding up a sign that I thought was the best sign I saw the whole time. He said, I'm here. I have to be here because you didn't vote. Right. So now we have to march in the streets and defend our right to keep and bear arms when we could have just gone to the polls. So um, so getting getting into the subject matter, I guess, of this week's episode, the United States intelligence agencies are such a part of the American scene, sort of the American way of life that most people would have a hard time imagining a time when they weren't around. And by that, I mean civilian uh, intelligence agencies. But, but you know, that time wasn't that long ago. Before World War II, there was no such animal as a civilian spy agency that operated in times of peace. So we had groups like in World War II, we had the Office of Strategic Services, OSS, uh, that were formed during times of war and then dismantled when those wars were over. But at the end of World War II, President Truman decided to change all of that. Instead of taking the OSS with its 13,000 employees apart, he expanded it and rolled it into a new organization that would eventually become the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. 
So now, along with military intelligence and law enforcement intelligence agencies, the U.S. now had a civilian spy agency with really loose boundaries, like clearly undefined, and they could pretty much do anything they wanted to do. They just they had a mandate, but they didn't really have a lot holding them down, except that they are ostensibly barred from operating on American soil. That has never stopped them, though. Uh, once that decision was made, though, to have a peacetime civilian spy agency, more soon followed, notably the NSA in 1952. In fact, much of the surveillance state and deep state date back to the age of World War II and right after. And while the ostensible reason for all of the increased intelligence gathering was the battle against communism, the Cold War, the reality is that the U.S. made wide-scale communism not only possible, but practicable. Now, to some of the listeners, that may seem like a really extreme statement, but remember that it was by allying the U.S. with USSR and communist China to defeat the Nazi Germany, uh, to defeat Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, that the U.S. created the monster that would then be used as an excuse to have an intelligence agency that would behave as if we are always at war. So before we get any further into sort of the history of the surveillance state, the history of the deep state, Trevor, can you take a moment and talk about communist infiltration of the U.S. government? Because that sound clip I played at the beginning was Joe McCarthy. But Joe McCarthy is not the beginning or the end of communist infiltration of the U.S. government, the State Department, the military, the surveillance, uh, the intelligence agencies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Look, from what we can gather, you know, the Soviets were attending to infiltrate the U.S. Well, do, definitely U.S. society. They were they were taking charge of American communism right from the early days of the Bolshevik Revolution. And the famous Palmer raids that happened in the early 20s sent thousands of foreign-born communists back to the countries they came from. There was a real fear in the early 20s of a communist revolution in America. And uh, they got on top of that through the Palmer raids, and they they uh, seized a lot of material, a lot of incriminating stuff, and they expelled a lot of communists and set the movement back a long time. But by the 30s, with the Great Depression, you had a, a whole generation of young people turning towards socialism, and they were um, attracted to the big uh, communist-led organizations that were set up at that time, the Works Progress Administration and others, employed thousands of people, a lot of young graduates, many of them Communist Party members. And they used these organizations to actually move into the federal government. So during World War II, they, 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 they estimate now there was probably about 400 at least bona fide, fully recruited Soviet agents working in Washington. Including right, um, you know, the head of the Treasury, Harry Dexter White, uh, including senior people in the State Department, including possibly um, uh, Roosevelt's key assistant, and his name just escaped me right now, guy from Iowa. But anyway, that's just the, the, the recruited Soviet agents. There were, there were hundreds more Communist Party members who were willing to pass on information. And they used their influence um, to slow down the, the American war effort right at the end of the war, for instance, so the Soviets could take more of Europe. They used their influence in the State Department to deliver China to the communists. 
and they they heavily infiltrated the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, because while Bill Donovan, who set it up, he wanted people with European war experience. And the only war Americans had been fighting in Europe in recent times was the Spanish Civil War from 1936 to 39, when thousands of American communists went to fight on behalf of the Spanish communists against the Spanish nationalists who were backed by the Nazis and the uh, Italian fascists. So while Bill Donovan recruited a whole bunch of these American communists straight into the OSS, well, what could go wrong with that? You know, so, so right through the war, right through the war, everything America was doing was leaked straight to the Soviet Union and policy was set. And this is where... And people should read Diana West's um, great book, American Betrayal, and her, her new book, um, Red Thread. The Great Betrayal talks about American Betrayal talks about the massive Soviet infiltration of the of the Roosevelt administration and the Truman administration. And Red Thread talks about the Soviet communist roots of what we now know as the deep state. Very, very good books. But the point is, we're allowed to understand that there were spies. There were atom bomb spies. They caught a lot of these spies. People were spying and giving secrets to the Soviets. What we're not allowed to talk about is the influence, because these were the people who set up the United Nations and the World, ba- the World, ba- World Health Organization and the World Bank. Harry Dexter White, Al Jahis. These were Soviet agents getting America involved in massive international organizations that the American taxpayer was then on the hook for and would basically dictate terms to America. So, yes, the, 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 the infiltration problem was horrific. It, they, the Soviets were running the Roosevelt administration, in my opinion, without any exaggeration. Oh, no. But the no problem, you're not but exaggerating the at all. To, yeah. The thing people have to understand, that's an ongoing effort. So, But OSS, the CIA, was full of communists right from the very start, and they were never fully cleaned out. So how? How? what an auspicious beginning – for, for the CIA, which is, was dedicated to so-called fighting communism. Absolutely, because my premise is that it was never about fighting communism, um, that surveillance was not put in place as a tool to fight communism. Surveillance was the goal. Now, you bring up a couple of interesting things there, Trevor. Uh, you mentioned um, turning, the, turning China over to the Chinese communists. I mean, ma'am, we broke it off in Chiang Kai-shek. We just shafted him, this pro-American, pro-Christian, Democratic leader. And I use the word Democratic there to mean elected. Okay, I don't mean he was a Democrat. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he was – Chiang Kai-shek was a good man. He was a good man. He was a good leader to China. And, of course, you know, he goes down to – in the end, once we hand everything over to the communists, because we were in bed with them not only in the Soviet Union but in China – um, you know, not only in Europe, but in Asia. So he has to go down to Formosa, which we now call Taiwan. And there's still this spitting match between 
uh, Taiwan Republic of China and China, the People's Republic of China, because China still claims to own uh, Formosa or Taiwan. And in fact, yep. there, there was an article today, and I'm going to be writing about this for The New American. Uh, during all of this COVID lockdown, everyone's having to do these web conferences, and eight out of ten people that I know are using Zoom. Well, a new report is showing that Zoom is routing traffic through China, and Taiwan yep. just flatly forbade any official use of the, of the Zoom software for web conferencing in uh, Taiwan because it's the encryption keys and the communication itself are both going through China. They harvest both of those. They've got your communication. So it's all part and parcel of sort of the same thing. Another thing, you brought up the name Alger Hiss. Now, you know, some people might hear you say that the, the UN was founded by uh, pro-Soviet uh, uh, communists, and they go, ah, I don't know about all that. Well, the Verona, uh, Venona Project uh, is interesting to this conversation because once that was finally declassified and we could see the names of people that our federal government knew were communists, Alger Hiss is on that list. In fact, yeah. everybody, every individual uh, who was ever named by McCarthy as being a communist was verified once the Venona Project papers were declassified because their names are on that list. We knew it yeah. and we let it go on and we burned McCarthy to the ground to keep him from exposing it, though he was tasked with the job of yeah. exposing and, it. Yeah. And look, we got to understand that this, the government bodies like the House on American Activities Committee, which uh, uh, McCarthy was never in because he was in the Senate. <clears throat> Well, it was, it was set up before World War II by the Democrats to go after the Klan, the Communists, and the Nazis. Three groups. Right. And the head of it, Dickstein, uh, one of the Democratic congressmen, was later found to be a Soviet agent. Not an ideological one. He just did it for the money. But anyway, that, so, but they did legitimate good work. They, and they shut down the Klan eventually with the help of the FBI. And they, they shut down the Nazis. But the communists were too big for them. And they were the communists had already penetrated the government to such degree that, that the government was never really allowed to go after them effectively. And when McCarthy, who was doing the Democrats a great favor by pointing out their deep communist infiltration, was censured on the floor of the House, that sort of brought the real serious national anti-communist effort to a halt, but it didn't bring the communists to a halt. They went; they're still going strong. And then, when John Conyers in the 1970s, who had a 50-year history with the Communist Party, the head of the Judiciary Committee, a, a, a loyal servant of the Soviet Union, shut down the House Un-American Activities Committee, that was the end of any organised effort in this country to go after communists. In government, um, in government, in because go there are still government. groups yeah. like the John Birch Society. Yeah, uh, in government. And, I mean, in others. government. Yeah. If okay. I, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And that's really interesting because um, it's not unlike and, and I hate to use pop culture references, but, you know, if I was quoting, you know, Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice, no one would judge me. So I'm going to quote Marvel. OK, I'm going to quote a comic book <laughs> and a series of movies. Uh, it's not unlike when. It is discovered that Hydra had had been in uh, Shield 
since the beginning and that S.H.I.E.L.D. was merely, even the good S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who thought they were doing the good work were really just a front for what Hydra was doing in the background all along. And this isn't unlike that. Because yeah, in this, that, what we that's have... A good, that's a good analogy. And, and I, I'll, I'll tell you... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the CIA, and there's a difference too between the CIA and the FBI. See, J. Edgar Hoover, who was a great patriot, he didn't like the CIA. And one of the reasons was because the CIA recruited out of the Ivy League. Right. Right. And J. Edgar Hoover recruited good working class Catholic boys and Mormons because they knew they were so patriotic. Usually cops. Now, Sorry? Guys who came up through the ranks of law enforcement. Usually. Yeah, they came up through the ranks and they went to Notre Dame or they went to a Catholic college and they were they were patriotic guys. But this is the difference. Whitaker, Whitaker Chambers laid it out really nicely. Whitaker Chambers was the former communist courier um, in the communist apparatus in uh, in Washington, D.C., who, who left and returned to the Christian faith. And uh, he wrote in his book, he said... Uh, in America, he said he used to joke, only half in joke, he'd say, the lower class in America, the working class in America are Democrats. The middle class are Republicans, and the upper class are all communists. Oh, I don't because, think, that's not a joke at all. No, it's not. It, 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 was, it was true, because see, the CIA recruited out of the Ivy Leagues. And who went to the Ivy Leagues? It was the elitists. It was the socialists. It was the globalists. The free thinkers, so that, the Fabians. The free, the, the free thinkers, all of these people who really looked down on people from Iowa like they were sort of, you know, peasants. You know, the, the, the intellectual elite, and they were socialists in droves. They were liberals and socialists and uh, attracted to all of the, the isms of the era. And so you've always had in the in the CIA this sort of more much more globalist, liberal minded attitude. The FBI was hard nosed; they would go after the mob and the Klan and the communists. Well, the CIA would make deals. They would make they would make deals with the Italian socialists to keep the communists out, while the Italian socialists were a front of the Italian Communist Party. They would. They would promote openly promote socialism as a bulwark against communism, you know, which is patently ridiculous. Um, and so the CIA has never been a really hardcore anti-communist organization. You, you, you had some very good people in there, like uh, one of them was was my great hero, James Jesus Angleton, head of the CIA counterintelligence, and he did some things he shouldn't have. But he was a genuine anti-communist and a great patriot. But you had a lot of people in the CIA, like Colby and others, who were suspect characters all the way through. And the CIA was extremely lax and always has been and still is on who it admitted. You know, the reason we found out that Brennan voted communist, the head of the CIA, Brennan voted communist as a young man. Because he was at a, a gathering um, of people interested in intelligence, and a young gentleman got up and said, look, I'm a student radical, I'm a hardcore radical, but I'd like to go into intelligence, and would my radical background bar me in any way? 
and and Brennan said, no, no, not at all. He said, like like when I got in, I told the recruiter I'd voted for Gus Hall of the Communist Party. They still let me in. Exactly. So, 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 so if you think the CIA is this hawkish, anti-communist, super patriotic organization, always standing on the side of right in the American way, that's not how it is. And so it's we've got, got a this very strong liberal leftist component, and always has had. Exactly, and and so we've got this major component of the surveillance state. Um, and, and, you know, probably everything we've said so far about the CIA, we could apply to the NSA. OK, so we've got these major components of the surveillance state that are ostensibly anti-communism, but are in reality just surveillance hawks. They're just about amassing power for their masters. Well, there are, there, there's a strong fear, and I don't want to be blanking about this because I know I've met CIA CIA officers who are complete patriots. Oh yeah, yeah. Let but me. I, but I, but I know that the overarching vision, and they would complain to me about the liberal bent of the CIA, how just leftist that is. Yeah, don't don't get me and, wrong. I want I want to be like really really clear so that I'm not misunderstood. I'm gonna be all Obama. Let me be clear. So, um. There are wonderful, good, patriotic men and women in the intelligence agencies, including the CIA, including the NSA. They just don't know the game they're being used to play. They're missing some key components. They're missing sort of the vision and the zeitgeist, as it were, of the agencies that they're involved in. I mean, Snowden. Snowden was with the NSA. Okay, Snowden was with the CIA. Uh, I, I think... I think Ed Snowden is an American patriot who has paid a dear, dear price for the things that he exposed because when the chips were down, he had a decision to make and he made that right decision. But he says in his book that part of what makes him want to work so hard to tear down the surveillance state is that he worked so hard to help build it. Right. And you just got to realize with Snowden, I think his intentions were, were noble. But he got himself mixed up with Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras, both hardcore Marxists. Oh, yeah. No and they, they basically sucked him into the Soviet Union, and that's his fate now. But, you know, so, so yes, there are good people in all these organizations, but you've got to look at the overarching, you know, this the CIA – is an elitist organization there to preserve the status quo or advance the liberal vision? It does the right thing from time to time. It does great stuff from time to time, but it also makes massive blunders. Absolutely. And, 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 and some, of those, massive blunders, some of those blunders, some of those blunders I don't think are blunders. I think they're very deliberate. Well, well you, that's right. And, and you and I would probably disagree uh, on why Ed Snowden is in Russia. Uh, I, I think he got stranded there because of his, his, passport situation you may see that very differently that's fine we can disagree on that there's going to be probably one or two other things we'll disagree on in this conversation um but getting back to sort of the apparatus not the individuals okay not the individual cia agent or even cia operative or cia boss at any given time but the apparatus itself the organization itself has been since its inception pro-communist but the 
so, so we get things like Five Eyes, and here we have two representatives of the Five Eyes nations having this conversation. So yeah, for, yeah. The, for the listeners who don't know what Five Eyes is, coming out of World War II uh, and getting into the early, like, oh, we've screwed up and built up communism, now we have to help tear it down movement, uh, which was all a farce. Uh, but you get the Five Eyes nations. Uh, Five Eyes is a surveillance agreement between the United States, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. And it was a way really to get around each of those nations' laws about surveilling their own people. Because, fine, the NSA is not supposed to gather information on American citizens on American soil. But New Zealand can. And then they can just give that information to the NSA. So we can't, you know, the UK can't spy on their own people. So the NSA does it for them and then just gives them that information. Uh, It was from its beginning, it was an end run around laws that were supposed to protect people's privacy and protect people from warrantless mass surveillance, which is really what the surveillance state is all about. So see, this is uh, this is I think is going we're going to emphasize a great point there. There, there, there are. I, I have no problem with intelligence agencies monitoring subversives. I think that's extremely necessary. Oh, absolutely. But what, but what you what you have? There's a right way of doing it, and the best ways of doing it is local agencies under local control working within the law and the prescribed laws of the land, openly going after these going after these people and when appropriate, referring the cases to, to for prosecution so it's all out in the open and people see what people have done and what they're doing. And this should be uh, military, local law enforcement, it should be decentralized. You know, you look you look at nine eleven. There were many reports from the FBI that, that there were suspicious characters training, you know, in flight schools. Project and they Able Danger. Kicked, yes, Project yeah, Able and Danger. They, they, got kicked, they got kicked upstairs. Nobody did anything. If the local people had authority to act, that would have been stopped. But you get these big bureaucracies where stuff gets lost and always gets politicized. The bigger the agency is, the more political it will be because they will tailor their intelligence and who they surveil and who they go after according to, to A, their own agendas, their own political agendas, and the agendas of those they're politically aligned to. So having massive centralization of intelligence and very little local authority is a recipe for disaster because it politicizes and it makes intelligence inefficient. Things get missed. People die, like in 9-11, like in the Pulse um, nightclub shooting, like in the San Bernardino shootings where Philip Haney knew about these people, had them on, you know, and knew about these networks, but was forbidden from, from even putting them in the records because it didn't suit the political agenda of the time. Exactly. And since you bring up 9-11, uh, that serves as a nice segue Illegal mass surveillance of U.S. citizens did not start. It didn't begin in the post-9-11 Patriot Act DSH programs. Those were merely extensions of what had already been going on for decades. In fact, from 1967 to 1974, the CIA's Operation Chaos saw the CIA keeping tabs on American citizens it suspected 
of engaging in actions counter to U.S. interests. So these were groups like Students for a Democratic Society, SDS. What a commie bunch of people. Okay, the Black Panthers, communists, and other pro-communist groups that were routinely kept under surveillance. In fact, at one point, the CIA even purchased a garbage company to collect documents that one of those groups sent off to be destroyed. So they put these things in a in a bin that's supposed to be taken off by this, this company whose job it is to shred and burn this stuff. The CIA just bought the company and then just harvested that stuff right out of the trash cans. Now, granted, okay, like you said earlier, these pro-commie groups were a genuine, real, and present danger to the United States. But, like you said... There were already other agencies who could have handled those investigations legally. The CIA is barred from doing what it did, but it did it. That's all declassified now, and zero people have ever been held accountable for Project Chaos. See, this this is it. You know, you used to have the Chicago used the police force used to have their Red Squad. You had the Office of Naval Intelligence. You had most of the big cities had squads who were there for for monitoring anarchists and terrorists and spies, and they did a great job, and they could act locally, and they could get on top of these things. So all of those are gone now. All, all intelligence goes up the chain right into the CIA, the, the top reaches of the FBI, and it, then it, it is either used or not used according to the political dictates of the day. That's not how intelligence should work. It's a great great threat absolutely and because you've got these organizations now the temptation is always going to be to use them like a kgb to monitor your enemies to monitor dissidents to monitor you know we've seen how these agencies were politicized against trump you know well that that you know people should be in jail for that that's a a crime of the deepest order against the the constitutional order of this country yeah because regardless go ahead if you have if you have big centralized intelligence agencies that is inevitable that it just goes with the territory that will happen absolutely and regardless of what anyone thinks of donald trump um that man has been being roasted since before he was even in the White House, the moment he was president-elect, well, actually, the moment it was sure that he was going to win, uh, they started roasting him with this false narrative of uh, you know, yeah. Russian collusion, and it, it, it was insane. I wrote a lot about that. Now, I am not a Trumpeteer. I'll just go ahead and say that. I'm not a great big fan of Donald Trump. Sadly, I think he is the best president of my lifetime, and I think that probably just means the bar is too low. He's done some wonderful things. He's done some really, really good things for this country. I like to say this. He may not be one of us per se, but the important thing is he's not one of them. He is not beholden to the deep state. He's not beholden to the new world order. He's not beholden to the globalists. He's he's just not one of them. He really is an independent kind of guy who's just going to get it done if it hair lips the governor and he doesn't care who he offends in the process. That part I really like about him. So, uh, but getting back to this then, so even before Operation Chaos, uh, in fact, predating the CIA, which was formed in 1947, we have Project Shamrock beginning in 1945 and running until 1975. So for 30 solid years, Project Shamrock illegally gathered telegraphs and phone call data information on American citizens without a warrant. At its peak, 
the project's personnel were processing hundreds of thousands of messages per month from 1945 to 1975. Now, that might sound familiar because that sounds exactly like how we live now. So when after 9-11, uh, September 11th, when 19 terrorists committed their terrible acts, America was changed from that moment forward because the surveillance state just kind of stuck its pinky toe out into the light a little bit and revealed to the world what had been going on for generations. The pattern then is the same as now. The only difference is the players. Then, and, and the degree of technology that's available. Well, now. yeah, and I, I, I talk about that all the time because, you know, you brought up something earlier. Uh, it was just a phrase that you used. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it made me think, you know, the difference now is that because, and, and go back and listen, if, if you're listening to this episode and you've not ever heard the very first episode of this podcast, uh, which is titled, Why Surveillance Matters Even If You Have Nothing to Hide, go back and listen to that because I lay out the facts and the figures in that for exactly why this is such a big deal because they have the ability now to not, not human beings sitting in a smoky room somewhere uh, wearing a fedora and a pair of cheap headphones. They have computers that cook this down with algorithms. They can go back and listen to this or watch this or, or uh, interact with this data at any time. It's stored in perpetuity. And they have the ability with these algorithms to predict behavior. So they can already know that when they have plan Z in place, they already know because of the data they've been collecting on you for most of your life, how you're going to respond to plan Z. And they should not know that. We are not their enemies. I call this show enemy of the surveillance state because the surveillance state first made itself an enemy of the American people and an enemy of privacy. And so I finally just decided to come out and admit I am an enemy of the surveillance state. And if you're listening to this program, you probably are, too. Well, so, you should, they should be listening to this program. They'd be remiss if they're not. Well, Absolutely. So the pattern then and the pattern now, the only difference besides the degree of technology is the players are different because then while building communism, the deep state pretended to fight communism and use that as a pretext to rob Americans of our rights, especially privacy. Surveillance was, like I said earlier, it was not a tool for fighting communism. Surveillance was the goal. Now the evil they pretend to fight is terrorism. In reality, the deep state has created or at least funded and equipped the likes of Al-Qaeda, and you and I may disagree on this, uh, Trevor, ISIS, and other Islamic terrorist groups. Because remember, Osama bin Laden was a CIA asset. This was widely reported. Again, the goal is tyranny and the building of a surveillance state to keep the, the mere people, us mere mortals, in check. Yeah, look, I just found that, you know, the, the, the deputy of Osama bin Laden was a KGB agent. So, you know, there are circles within circles within circles here. Absolutely. And the CIA has good guys in it and bad guys in it. But what you've got to look at is the principle of a large, all-encompassing civilian intelligence agency with no limits. Now, this is why I think it's a bad thing. Now, I'll, I'll give you an anecdote to, to say what I'm getting at here. The, the head of French intelligence, Georges de Maranche, 
tells a little story. His favorite trick, he used to go to all the Paris parties, right, you know, and the, the dinner parties for diplomats and politicians, and he was always there. And he'd always stand in the corner of the room and he'd catch somebody's eye and he'd wag his finger at them and, and, and mouth, naughty, 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 naughty. And he said he did that to countless people over many years and only one person ever come up to him and said, what do you mean? What are you accusing me of? Because everybody's uh-huh. got their little secret. Every All of those politicians you know, have, were having affairs or meeting with someone they shouldn't have been meeting with or doing some shady financial deal. He didn't know anything about any of them. He just made that. But they all he thought he did. That's he right. all thought they did. So the point is, you're a, you're a, you're a senator, a member of Congress. They they when you know the CIA is willing to weaponize its stuff to make up cases, and you have got some little shady secret in your past, you have a fair idea they know about it, and you are not going to challenge them or their agenda. It has an intimidating effect on everybody. Well, that and now when they say naughty, naughty, you know they do actually know because they're they harvesting do know, everything. Yeah. They're harvesting yeah. everything. That cannot be <laughs> overemphasized. So what I'm saying there is the intelligence service becomes the effective government or, or a major tool of government like the KGB in Russia today. Well, that's why we call them the deep state, right? It's why we use yeah. the phrase deep state because they're the, they're the shadow government – behind the visible government. That, that's exactly right. And that is the primary danger, in my opinion, of a large centralized civilian intelligence agency. I'm not saying there should be no civilian intelligence agency, but I think it should be there should be several small ones. They should be working independently of each other, and they should be under absolute scrutiny, and uh, people should be held accountable. You know, this is the devil. It's like... The government is a great servant or a horrible master. Well, well, you amplify that with intelligence services. We need them, but if they become our master, they are horrific. Oh, yes, because and, there's, and, there's and, no and stopping the CIA them. is just a perfect example of what not to do when it comes to intelligence. Well, and the NSA. Uh, and so, you know, you, you bring up that point again about decentralized uh, intelligence agencies – uh, whose job it is to act independently of one another and even on a local level. But, of course, post-9-11, that's ancient history because George W. Bush, whose father, by the way, had been the director of the CIA. So you talk yeah. about uh, a, an insider's insider. George W. Bush coming out of 9-11 just wraps everything up into the Department of Homeland Security and forces these agencies sort of into one bucket of just surveillance just yeah. surveillance. So coming out of 9-11, they took a project that had already been around since 1960, uh, a program called Echelon, uh, that was a major spy network and using what's called uh, SIGINT, Signals Intelligence, capturing uh, you know phone calls and now, of course, uh, internet traffic, uh, f- phone calls, email, Internet traffic back in the day, telegraphs, telegrams, you know, any kind of anything that was transmitted in any way at all. They had a way to intercept that, to uh, decode it if it was encoded, 
Uh, this is called Signals Intelligence or SIGINT, okay? Yeah, and this yeah. is what Echelon was all about, but then they expanded that with programs like PRISM and X Keyscore. Now, PRISM is a big one uh, because today, you know, people just live with their technology, and I'm not anti-technology. I feel like I've got to say this on every episode because I'm going to come off sounding like <laughs> like I think. I'm a nerd. Yeah. I love technology. Yeah. Like, I'm a Linux geek. I, I, I yeah, think, Just like I'm not anti-intelligence. we got exactly. to have technology. You've got to have intelligence. But it's, it's about how we balance. And how we manage them. Never, ever, ever at the expense of individual liberties. And so PRISM, uh, this NSA program that Ed Snowden revealed uh, had key players like Facebook, Microsoft, Google, and Apple. Sorry for all you Apple guys out there who think you're so secure because you're using Apple products. It's not the case. Apple was in bed with the NSA and probably almost certainly still is. Like I say, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Apple, they were all just funneling this stuff directly to the NSA through Project Prism. Okay? So what we have is this, you, you use the phrase overarching, and that's exactly what it is, this overarching sort of surveillance state slash deep state that has the ability to control not only all of us as individuals, but now here's the deal. So your analogy earlier, uh, Trevor, which was excellent, by the way, you're a senator and you're standing in their way, but they know you know they've got dirt on you. How about this? You're 18 or 19 or 20 years old today, and you're doing something really, really stupid online or in a text or on a voicemail or an email or whatever. It doesn't matter. 20 years from now, when you're a senator, they've got that. They've already got you right where they want you. And you may push back, but you're only going to push so hard because they will ruin your life. And you well, know that's, that, that's right. I saw a great meme the other day. It was a, a young kid talking to um, Zuckerberg, a young kid talking to Zuckerberg, and the, the kid says, my dad says you watch everything we do. And Zuckerberg says, he's not your dad. Exactly. Exactly. Boy, that's hilarious. That, But it's spot on, too. I'll tell you, the, the people who come up with memes, if, if you're a meme maker out there, you're one of those guys, man, I, I bow before your greatness because I think memes are some of the wittiest things. Some of them, some of them are pretty lowbrow, but a really witty meme is a great way to communicate an important point in a, in a world that has been trained to bite onto a sound bite but can't read a whole paragraph. So uh, I, do, I do love a good meme. So, uh, Trevor, yeah, the, the, the point illustrates that the, it, it illustrates the chilling effect out there, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I, look, I, I want the police to protect me from criminals. That doesn't mean I want the police standing on my doorstep watching everything I do. Exactly, which is why I I'll never have. Agents, you know, I want the spy agencies protecting me from traitors and, and terrorists. Doesn't mean I want them watching everything I do. Exactly. There's a difference. And, that, and that's the balance. That's the balance that is always missing in a world that everything is politicized. Uh, if you just want to start a fight, open up a can of worms and use the word Trump in a sentence anywhere, and you're going to get a fight <laughs> yeah. started. Because everything is so politicized. If you criticize him, you're pro-Hillary or you're pro-whatever. If you yeah. praise him, then you're accused of being a Trumpeteer. You can never park yourself neatly in the middle and say, hey, I like this, but I don't like that about this yeah. politician yeah. or whatever, right? So, yeah. Trevor, this has been wonderful. So before we part company, 
Uh, tell people where they can find your website, KeyWiki. Yeah, look, I, ha- I have a, w- a website, KeyWiki, and I've always believed that private intelligence is a great thing um, and because state intelligence is always politicized. So what I've done, I set up a website. It's called KeyWiki, K-E-Y-W-I-K-I dot org. It's got 127,000 files on it, open to the public of American communists, socialists, Marxists, radicals, terrorists, senators, congressmen, presidential candidates, all linked up to show you the communist networks and Islamist networks currently operating in this country. It's right out there in the open. Anybody who has their stuff put on it has a right to challenge it. I will change it if it's wrong, which very seldom happens. So go to keywiki.org. And this is how intelligence should work, in my opinion. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, And let me say this, too. um, Enemy of the Surveillance State accepts no advertising. I'm not underwritten by anybody. This is a one-man show. And it does take some things to keep this show going. Now, I said what I'm about to say in a previous episode. The very last episode I published was a bonus episode where I address the fact that I've launched a Patreon account for people to be able to support me. If you're locked down at home right now and not able to make a living because of this COVID lockdown, please, please, please just share this episode, like and subscribe, share me all over Facebook, tell Twitter, wherever you can tell people about me. Send it out in an email blast. Make sure people are aware of the program. Please share this as wide as you can, but do not, if it's going to cause you any financial difficulty at all, support this program financially. If you're one of those people who worked from home before this started and nothing really has changed in your life or you're independently wealthy and you've just got some money you want to throw at a good cause, pop over to my Patreon account. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes and you can you can support the show at $5, $10, $25 a month, whatever's comfortable for you. I've got some perks in there for folks. I also launched a line of merchandise. I've got a Teespring account where you can get t-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, that kind of stuff. A really cool uh, hoodie uh, that has the enemy of the surveillance state logo on it so you can wear it with pride and show the world that you are an enemy of the surveillance state. So check out the Patreon page. Check out the uh, the Teespring page. Those will be linked in the bottom along with Trevor's stuff. I'm going to link also some stuff to some of the stuff that we've talked about today. Trevor, man, it has been a pleasure to have you on here. I always enjoy yeah. talking to you. Well, it's always a blast, and it's always good to, you know, when you can share knowledge, it's great, you know, when, when you know, ask, ask great questions. So I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, Trevor, you and everybody else who's listening, please stay safe. Don't lick any doorknobs. And God bless all of you. This has been Enemy of the Surveillance State, and we'll catch you next week.